John makes a big deal out of the fact that this is Jesus' first miracle that reveals his glory. This miracle of the water turning into wine at Cana in Galilee at this wedding. But for a few reasons, I think that that's kind of weird uh, that Jesus chose this as his first miracle. Or as the case may be, it kind of seems like he didn't choose it. Um, It's not a particularly great way to reveal your glory since he kind of... uh, only does it furtively and kind of sneakily so as not to embarrass the bridegroom. It's sort of odd. It doesn't seem planned. Sort of just spur of the moment. Mary sees that they've run out of wine at this wedding and goes and tells them, simply, they have no wine. And Jesus has this kind of odd rebuke. Woman, how does your concern affect me? I'm having a good time with my friends here, right? Jesus had not yet become this public minister, this great teacher or miracle doer. He was just a guy. And Mary brings this concern to him, and yet she has the faith in going to the waiters to say, do whatever he tells you to do. The weirdest thing about it is that Jesus doesn't seem to want to do it, and yet he does it. It's Mary's pleading or Mary's concern for the embarrassment of the hosts that gets him to move and to, and to do this miracle. And then he tells them to fill up these six water jars, 20 to 30 gallons each, so somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water, and changes them into the best wine that anyone tasted all night. It's a very, very weird story. But if you know the Gospel of John, there's nothing unplanned. There's nothing insignificant. There's nothing that's not meant to be there in the way that John tells the story, and in the life of Christ. Everything that he does is in some ways symbolic, in some ways carries meaning, all the way back from the old covenant up until what he's revealing now in his person, in his glory, in the way that he lives, in the way that he dies and rises from the dead. So a few examples of that would be just Mary's line, they have no more wine here. That's not just any woman saying they have no wine. And wine is not just wine. In the Bible, wine is the symbol of joy. In the Psalms, it says, wine gives joy to men's hearts. That's how God kind of shows that he loves us. I think that was G.K. Chesterton that says, beer is the proof that God loves us, right? Wine in the Bible is the proof that God loves us, that it, it lifts our spirits and gives us joy. It's this social lubricant that kind of marks festivity and celebration. Of course, it shouldn't be used to excess, but that it's given to us as a gift from God to enjoy life and to enjoy each other, to enjoy conversation. And so Mary, the sinless one, is saying to Jesus, the other sinless one, look at this world. Look at everyone. Look at all of us. They have no joy. They're joyless. They've run out of wine. And what is the context of this saying? It's a wedding. And all of the Bible has, from Genesis until Revelation, is leading up to this great marriage feast between God and human beings. God and all of his creation, his his human creation, made in his divine image. He wants to marry us, as the first reading from Isaiah says. But what has happened in sin from Adam and Eve is that there's been a divorce. And that divorce has created this lack, this lack of joy, of life. And what God is intending to do and what he is doing in Jesus and Mary is joining once again God and humanity to marry us again, to give us his life, 
his joy. And Jesus' response to her is not just, woman, what does your concern affect me? What he's saying is, woman, woman as she was meant to be. Not Eve, the one who's fallen into disgrace, but Mary, the woman who is full of grace, who is sinless, who is filled with joy, who notices the lack and notices uh, the needs of others and fulfills them, goes to Christ, her master, and says, they have no wine, do something. And then goes to the waiters and says the most important line, do whatever he tells you. There are many things that we can learn from this reading, but I just want to point out three. The first is that God cares very much about the ordinary. You'd think that something like running out of wine and at a wedding would not be something as important as, say, curing someone of paralysis or raising someone from the dead. They just ran out of wine. They could go to the grocery store, but it's probably closed. I don't know. They needed something kind of extra, not something necessary. And yet God wants to give it to them. He cares about the ordinary. I was reading, uh, listening this week to a podcast about the examine prayer by Father Timothy Gallagher. He calls it the daily prayer of discernment. What the examine prayer is, as St. Ignatius of Loyola, is just basically reviewing your day for what you have to give thanks to God for and where you may have missed him, where you may have not lived up to your calling of receiving the grace that what God wants to give you to live the Christian life the way he's calling you to, to be a saint. And so it means rewinding the tape of like the last 24 hours and just watching your day moment by moment, especially those moments which are deeply affective, deeply moving, something that catches your attention. It's almost like reading the scriptures where you focus in on what, where's the spirit moving me to, to meditate and to, and to stay and to dwell in order that I could grow in this grace. It's the same way you're reading your life. Where God is moving in this most ordinary, like this email that you're having trouble sending for some reason, or this person that you think you may, maybe should call and haven't been calling, or the most ordinary things in your, in your day that God is pointing you to. He cares deeply about those things because they're important to you and to your growth and holiness. The second would be the simplicity in prayer. Mary's prayer is so simple. They have no wine. It's just simply, look at we're lacking. I need something. She doesn't give him a very detailed list of instructions as to how to fulfill this need. Sometimes I feel like we do this in our, especially petitions. Oh Lord, we pray for all the sick that in their need that you may provide for them doctors and nurses who could uh, do what needs to be done and that you would bless them and give them. And if it be your will that they continue to suffer, that they would suffer according to the pattern of your son's cross. These detailed uh, instructions as to how God should take care of us. It's not necessary. Simplicity. In some ways that, that opens our hearts to the knowledge and the, and the recognition that we really don't know what we want. We really don't know how to take care of ourselves. We need God the Father to show us everything, to do everything for us. And yet he wants, to come, he wants us to come to him with our need, to recognize and say, Lord, help us we're out of joy. We don't know where to go. We don't know how to get what we're looking for, or even what we're looking for in the first place. Help us. And finally, the third point we can learn today is that God is generous. God is generous. 
Like I said, it's, it's, it's not something necessary. It's not a medical healing or, or even a rising from the dead that is his first miracle. It's something extra, something unnecessary, this wine. And it's more and better wine than anybody could have hoped to ask for. This is what Jesus gives, 120 to 180 gallons of the finest wine anyone in Cana knew of. God is generous and wants to answer our needs better and, and more than we even think is possible. But I think that it all hinges on this line of Mary. Do whatever he tells you. Because this is why we make things more complicated than they need to be in prayer. Why we sometimes are suspicious that I'm not getting more and better than what I actually want or or need. That God seems to be stingy in answering my prayers. Why is that? Maybe it's because we're not doing whatever he tells us. That he's got some kind of instructions for us that might seem strange, like fill up those jars with water. Or do this thing that you know that you probably should do, but you're resisting and making more complicated than it needs to be, and, and deceiving yourself and, and trying to, to live God's will in your own way rather than on his terms. What Mary is teaching those, those guys, those servants, is that in order for something insanely beautiful to happen, you have to completely let go of your self-will and surrender to his will. You have to do whatever he tells you. But if you do, you will see that God is generous, that you are totally dependent on him, and that he wants to guide and answer your prayers to give you the joy you're looking for.